Gene Shepard, author, raconteur, and commentator on the contemporary scene. Here's Gene. Hello, yeah, yeah, that's it. There, he's sneaking in there. Wow, what game? Hello, test. That's called speech compression. Tonight, we've taken as a as our text a salute to the ding dongs of the world, the uh, lolly gaggles of the world. How do you like that phrase? Lolly gaggle is out of the early 18th and late 19th centuries. A lollygaggle is uh, a dingbat, right? Bring it up. There's always been a word for it, you know. Oh, yes. Uh, the word changes, but the dingbat remains forever with us. You can call him whatever you want. He's old Slavus. Slavus Humanus. Homo Slavus. <laughs> the dingbats of the world. And, of course, now there's been a new development in dingbatism. And, uh, we're, of course, we're putting this down. Uh, we'll be recording this uh, for posterity in addition to broadcasting. So this is a thousand years from now when they dig up the tapes. They'll know a little about what it re See, this is the stuff you don't read in the Times. And, unfortunately, if a thousand years from now you were trying to reconstruct life in the 20th century from reading the Times, I think you'd have a little trouble reconstructing life. You'd construct a lot of political things. You'd construct... But not life, you know. It's just a... Not, not life as it's lived out there on Route 3. Uh, it's a whole different ball game, right? Dingbat, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I've always felt that history is, is uh, remiss in that anyway, you know. It's, uh, uh, whenever you read uh, about the Roman uh, Empire, you always read about the uh, various Caesars and you read about the various uh, emperors and one thing. But you don't read about the guy that came along every day and swept the leaves off the roof of, uh, you know, the villa that uh, Nero occupied outside of Pompeii during the summer. You don't know much about his life, what he ate, or anything else, you know. But he was there. He was there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When Nero was up there uh, in the top row there, occupying the uh, emperor's box at the Colosseum, and uh, yelling and cheering like everybody else is out there, you know, putting his thumb up or putting his thumb down, Outside of the Colosseum, because he could not afford a ticket, uh, was uh, Slavus Romanus, Italianus. And uh, he was walking around there, you know, doing his thing, uh, eating peanuts and, and uh, hearing from a distance the cheers of the multitude. Not really the multitude, the cheers of the aristocracy. It's like... Uh, a Slavus Americanus New Yorkus can hardly get himself a ticket to, say, the New York Jets. Uh, or even more than that, uh, let's say, uh, the Knicks. Uh, certainly he has trouble getting a ticket to almost anything, that anything is good. But George Plimpton seems to have no trouble. Candace Bergen is at ringside. But the Slavus Americanus New Yorkus, he's out there walking around 6th Avenue kicking cigar butts, and from the long distance he hears the cheers. And that's about it. But nobody records his life. <laughs> his life. Uh, we record Philip Roth's life at great length, and uh, Norman Mailer's life, or even Yossarian, 
of uh, Catch-22. But nobody records the private who was in the same airplane with Yossarian. Remember, Yossarian was a captain, friends. A very salient point to remember. He was not every man. A captain is not every man. Anyone who's ever been in any of the armed forces knows that the captain is not every man. He is a captain. You know what they mean, captains of industry? That's not the same as working on the assembly line. And a captain in the armed forces is not working on the assembly line. And so uh, the problem of putting uh, uh, dingbatism down, the pro it's always a thankless task. Always. Remember that for the recorder of dingbatism or slavicism. Because he too will be ignored then. By the very nature of recording the unrecordable. You're not going to get Anatole Broyard to, uh, to uh, let's say, to seriously review In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Because, first of all, he couldn't probably read it. It contains language that uh, just goes beyond the language of, say, uh, uh, well, let's say for argument's sake, uh, Bruce Catton or, uh, you know, other official writers of the time. So here we are, we're living in the midst of one world, and uh, the other world is being recorded infinitely. But the other world is tiny. The world of Muhammad Ali and Joe Garagiola is tiny compared to the world that is lived by the average walking around, sniffing, uh, gum-chewing citizen of the realm. Have you noticed now that gum has... That's a new, by the way, a new trend, which you are going to hear right here for the first time. A few years from now, New York will write about it. Have you noticed the new fat gums that have suddenly hit the market? What? You mean you don't know? Well, you're going to learn for the first time. Why, well, there's a gum now called Big Red that is part of the great tradition of the American West. It was spawned by the tradition of the Westerners who went out and, 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 and conquered the mountains and the rivers of the great West. Big Red. I kind of like that. And of course, then there have to be a gum that will capture either a gum or it'll be a uh, possibly uh, possibly a, uh, a, a possibly a, a fudsicle that will recapture the spirit of the founding fathers. And uh, it, it <laughs> it'll come with a little silver wig on it, maybe you know, made of polyethylene, and uh, and I can just see the commercials for it. it. Says you've admired Patrick Henry when he said, "Give me liberty or give me death." If Patrick Henry had been alive today, he would have enjoyed the founding father popsicle, which uh, says, "Give me liberty or give me a founding father popsicle." That's what America's all about. La da da dee 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 dee. Big red, you're riding off into the sunset, a chewing your gum, Luke, just a chewing. And uh, of course, this is all part of uh, this is all part of our time. We got you can't ignore it. See, and that's my function as an artist. See, to record these unrecordable bits, which are not trivia. Oh no, no, they bespeak great things about us. We are living in the age of now. No longer is nostalgia. A peripheral issue. It is a central issue to life. A central issue to life. On the one hand, you have vast voters who are intrigued by a guy who obviously was a good guy in the movies. But old movies. See, that's important. Old movies. 
And uh, on the other hand, a guy that uh, grows peanuts on the land. On the land. You hear that? On the land, folks. Yeah, I'm just a simple country boy. And I, I just say that we ought to bring some simple country boy virtues to our land. And so this is all part of the, the vast central core of nostalgia that's running through American life. And, uh, and I say also, too, have you noticed, I think a lot of politicians are ignoring one basic factor of the politicians that are involved today. I'm not, incidentally, one of the most predictable of all columns every year there is a column written by one or at least sometimes ten national columnists that say one. There are no candidates running this year who are worthy of even a vote. That's as predictable as the fact that the leaves are going to fall off the trees in the fall. <laughs> that column is always written. And uh, it was written when Kennedy ran. Of course, he's deified now, but it was written when Kennedy ran. And I can even quote the writer who wrote it. And one major commentator said this on the news the night before Kennedy's election. He said, I personally am not going to vote. Both these candidates are, they're so alike, they were both created by the ad agencies. Who was that? He is still considered a deep thinker on the network. His name, by the way, his initials are E.S., Bum, bum, ba, da, da, dee, 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 dee. So, this is, but wait a minute, this is all part of the time. So, I'm not putting any of it down. And I, and I say, another column that will, is always being written is, the primary system is ridiculous, it must go. Hey, you always say that. Replaced by what? Well, a national system of primaries. They don't want that. Do you realize if we had one day for a national... Why, do you realize that for at least six months out of every election year, the uh, news departments would have nothing to write about? Why, do you realize more expense accounts flourish and blossom? And uh, <laughs> there's more beautiful travel time logged by more correspondence during the, cor during the years, during the time that the primaries are going... Than any other time. I don't want to get rid of that. See, it's the love-hate thing, you know, if you get rid of that. Oh, yes, uh, everybody gets up and puts down... It's like, it's like an actor that puts down the Oscars, you know, but just once leave him off the list. Bum, ba dum bum. <laughs> so, uh, man is man, you know, he's, he's man. And uh, here we are, you know, sitting here in the middle of a great... Uh, the central core of nostalgia that went through. By the way, I might also add, we're not the first country that went through the central core of nostalgia. Well, no, England. England for years. Yes, you don't know of England then. If you, if you, 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 you bespeak your ignorance of England if you do not know that running through much of English life for the past 40 years was a great desire uh, to, uh, to return, curiously enough, to the 30s. Now you say, how, why? Well, even on the part of the labor movement in England. The labor movement in England still likes to believe that it is living in an embattled breadline. So hence, get all you can! <laughs> so that's a kind of nostalgia, too. You see it running through life in New York. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, you, you, I, I heard a faculty member the other day in the major university around here. I was sitting at the lunch table with him. And he says, everyone knows that the college professor is, uh, is one of the uh, truly uh, 
uh, economically deprived members of society. I noticed one thing, though. He drove up uh, to the uh, evening's entertainment in his 280 SE. And uh, he also then spent a great deal of time telling me about his home on Cape Cod, which he enjoys three months out of the year. <laughs> but uh, so he, he was living in nostalgia. He was living back in the days when the, you know, when the, the simple little school teacher was paid by, by the, the people around him, by the community in potatoes, and, and uh, they'd fix his shoes once in a while. So that's part of nostalgic. You can have nostalgia that doesn't relate to old movie stars. Uh, if, if, for example, I, I one time went to a, 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 an award ceremony where uh, the award ceremony was being presented. It was a, it was a newsman or as a ceremony, and they like to think of themselves as underpaid, ink-stained wretches. You know, right a Dickensian uh, ink-stained wretch, ink-stained wretch, Woodward and Bernstein ink-stained wretches. Why they're in big business, friend. Whenever Robert Redford buys the rights to your work, you're in big business, man. <laughs> and it was one of those guys that made that statement. So, uh, which way does the wind blow? The wind blows whichever way you want it to blow. So I, I, I returned... Uh, uh, you know, from uh, from a, a vast trip around the, the great uh, uh, unrecorded bowl of the Midwest. Uh, unrecorded, and that's an official, non-official place. You cannot write an official novel about the Midwest. Now, you're going to say, why? Can you name one recently? That's right. But there have been many written. <laughs> because that's not an official part of the country, literarily speaking. Many writers have come from there, but they had to come from there and cleverly disguise themselves as New Yorker editorialists like James Thurber to get accepted. Mark Twain had to move to Connecticut, you know. Now, on the other hand, uh, the South is an official part of the country to write about, but it has to be written the right way, decadent. Uh, that Blanche Dubois has to rock on the front porch of every home south of the Mason-Dixon line, and <laughs> and and, uh, and old old the old darkies have to be out there singing in the in the corn and the cotton fields to be an official book about the South. Either that, uh, or the West is getting to be official. That's called the Larry McMurtry symbol. I'm leaving Cheyenne to come to the big town. <laughs> all right, all right, listen, I, I have to go on further. If you've never traveled, and I'm going to do a little traveling here for you, if uh, you've never really traveled up in that that uh, very historic part of the country, historic in a, in a specific way, the upper uh, peninsula of Michigan, the upper, uh, that, that vast uh, brooding, you know there's a brooding quality in uh, the what they call the North Woods section of Wisconsin. And I don't mean brooding just because of the woods, but there is a curious brooding quality. You know, when you travel across Wisconsin, you're traveling across a state that is probably as schizoid as any state in the Union. Uh, and that's why they send so many strange people to Congress, like 
the late Senator Joseph McCarthy. Uh, and they, 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 they go on both sides of the political scale. Fantastic uh, uh, split in between one group and the other group in that state. On the one hand, uh, the university community is still fighting Vietnam. This is where whenever any time a, a candidate arrives on any campus uh, on the University of uh, Wisconsin, they do unspeakable things to them. That's part of that curious... Uh, Split. You know, you tend to think of Wisconsin as being one of those simple, wonderful states where they walk around and make cheese. Well, I've always felt, and I, I want to go on record as saying it here, I always felt that that most of us in our own head are the victims, and I mean victims, of a numberless catalog of meaningless, unintelligent cliches. In other words, the firm belief that most New Yorkers have that out there is Doris Dayland uh, <laughs> is one of the great cliches. Just as the city guy is is often misunderstood by people, say, in towns like, uh, oh, just for argument's sake, if you were to go to a town like, uh, oh, uh, Camden, Minnesota, which is a little town, and you were ask, you'd ask them about New York, well, they have all kinds of strange, cloudy ideas of what a New Yorker is like. And your ideas of what a town like, you know, a, a state like Wisconsin is equally cloudy, and by the way, equally dangerous, politically. And so, it, you know, it's assumed by the Easterner that the conservatives come from the Midwest, in spite of all evidence to the contrary. Uh, you don't call Birch Bayh, for example, a conservative. Uh, Adley, was Adley Stevenson a conservative? All right. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, was Joe McCarthy a conservative? Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. Uh, one should not confuse, uh, say, uh, Joe McCarthy with Robert Taft, who was a conservative. In other words, uh, a conservative is not a right-wing rabble-rouser. See, you, you see the problem here in America. We're, we're, we're beginning to louse up our own terms. So we tend to think that anybody who is on the right side of a picture is a conservative. Anybody. That's like saying that anybody on the left side of a picture, of the political picture, is a communist. It's not so. <laughs> and so, so you, you, Wisconsin has sent one or the other kind of wild... Uh, uh, activist to Congress. Well, what do you think the current one is? The guy that uh, is now currently in trouble. What, what's his name? The one that had the hair transplant. Come on. Proxmire. Well, he's a typical Wisconsin... See, I'm, he's a hellfire. Let's reform the world type. And this comes... A lot of these come out of Wisconsin. Uh, they reform. They want to reform the world either right or left, but they want to reform it. And they're they're uh, they have a tendency to be very very uh, didactic, uh, and more than that, they're uh, dedicated aesthetics. They're uh, they're estates, and so they dedicate their entire career to running all day long, and uh, forswearing all bad language. <laughs> Wisconsin's a curious state, and you get a sense of that broodingness 
because when you leave Wisconsin, you know, you drive south from the upper part of the peninsula, way up in the in the northern part of Wisconsin. I don't know of any state really that is more drastically different on the south part of its uh, borders than one than it is on the north. Now, you probably don't know that. Wisconsin on the far north is a state of uh, of uh, in a in a very real way lone woodsman. It's a it's a mean bitter climate, and by the way, bitter climates have always bred people who want to reform the world. They've come out of out of a, out of a kind of adversity. Uh, Martin Luther lived in the in the cold fastnesses of the mountain German world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they simply don't come from uh, nice, soft, easy places like the Riviera. You just can't imagine a, uh, a solve-all-problems type coming from, say, a town like uh, DeLand, Florida. Well, why you smile at that? Because you're, you're seriously, secretly recognizing the fact that uh, the people who come from these barren, rocky places often are the ones who want to who want to straighten up the rest of the world. Have you ever seen the films of Bergman? They drip with despair. And yet, this is supposed to be a paradise, you know, Sweden. It drips with despair. And uh, he speaks for many Swedes. There is a kind of brooding despair in them. And you find a great deal of that in Wisconsin. The same kind of curious northern uh, self-searching, brooding quality, and 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 as you drive south out of out of uh, say places like Eagle River, what am I talking about? Well, there are places like Eagle River, uh, Rhinelander. You drive through a little town like Rhinelander, and it and you could you can palpably feel in the air a curious kind of uh, brooding uh, quality. Uh, by the way, they have the greatest A.W. root beer stand I ever saw in my life in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And they used the European style in this one. Can you imagine? In Rhinelander, Wisconsin, they got an A&W. It's a beautiful restaurant. You go in, see, inside. And all the girls are, are dressed wearing funny little A&W baseball caps. And they're very, very neatly uh, uniformed. And uh, you don't order there the way you order. You pick up a phone. There's a phone at your desk. You pick it up. And uh, the girl calls you back then. Your phone rings, and you give them the order. And it's <laughs> so, but it, there's, a, there's a curious, bitter quality, and the wind blows out of the north. And then as you drive south in this state, you see a whole different world. Great, lush Wisconsin farms. And there is a very curious uh, mixture of people out in Wisconsin. For example, it's one of the great Polish states of the nation. And uh, practically every store in Wisconsin, as you just go into a supermarket, they sell fifth. Just like here in the New York area, when you go into a supermarket, they have an entire department that says uh, Italian foods, right? Well, if you go into a store in certain parts, large parts of Wisconsin, they have an entire section devoted to Polish and German food, period. Just like we have Italian here, they have German. So you see all these Polish sausages all lined up in the in the meat department. All these, uh, you know, to 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 a New Yorker, exotic, uh, un, uh, uh, enigmatic foods, which are part of the Polish uh, Germanic background that they have. 
Uh, sauerkraut, by the way, is the Wisconsin pizza, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and their drink is beer. Now, it's no coincidence that they make beer in Wisconsin because great numbers of German brewmeisters emigrated to that state uh, down around the turn of the century. And uh, it was a state very much like their Germany, you see. This is why they came there. It, it looked familiar to them. It had uh, brisk, short, cool summers. Germany has this. It has the brooding woods, which Germany has. Uh, there is the and what, by the way, what beer is the most popular beer in, in Wisconsin? You see it everywhere. It is not one you know. <laughs> I'll give you the clue. It is not Schlitz or Pabst or the ones that you know that are made in Wisconsin, but it is a beer called Hams, H A M M S, which is the beer that everywhere you go, you see it's big signs, Hams beer. And uh, but uh, beer is uh, the lifeblood of the state, one part of the state. So on, on one hand, you have a state on the southern part of the state where beer, they drink beer, they, they dance the polkas, and they do the whole, you know, they go the whole way. The far northern part of the state is abstemious. This is the Proxmire part of the state where they do not drink. They do not do any of this thing, and they spend a great deal of their time going to various very fundamental churches, Lutheran. And uh, they, uh, so you get this great split in the state. And one or the other of the factions is always in the ascendancy or descendancy. So on the one hand, you may get a great left-wing character come out of the state. And on the other hand, you may get uh, a right-wing character. But you rarely get a middle-of-the-roader out of Wisconsin. It's a wild state. And uh, for those of you who don't know much about the state, uh, it's an intriguing place. Incidentally... Wisconsin is also known for giving, uh, in the earliest days of its life, uh, giving uh, America some of its great comics. Who came from there? Herb Schreiner, are you kidding? Herb Schreiner came from Ohio. Contrary to the popular opinion that he came from Indiana, he tailed Indiana jokes, but he was from Ohio. I tell you, this is coming from Indiana. He was a $3 bill Indiana. Who are some of the great ones? Jack Benny, of course, and who else? <laughs> well, there have been several great comics come out of that state. And incidentally, there's a theory that comedy comes out of a schizoid condition in your life around you. That doesn't mean you're a schizoid. It means the world that you see is a world of contrasts. And so you think that way. And, uh, and so Wisconsin is a fantastically interesting, I find it, an intriguing state. Uh, and, and up in the far reaches of Wisconsin is where all the gangsters, by the way, went on their vacations. This is where Dillinger shot it out. And, uh, and by the way, the local authorities did not cooperate. Not that they were for Dillinger, but they see themselves as an entity of themselves. Who are you to come here and do this work, <laughs> is the belief. And then when you cross over to Minnesota, it's a totally different kind of state. If you think that Minnesota is uh, Mary Tyler Mooresville, no. That's just the opening. <laughs> There's nothing to do with Ted Knight. It's a, there's another fantastically interesting, to me, an intriguing state. And uh, it's probably, I would say Minnesota, and this is a personal estimation, Minnesota is probably the most beautiful state in the Union. Yes, really. 
And I mean it, really. I mean for continual, unrelieved magnificence of land. Great, fantastic beauty. Now, we always think of beauty as dramatic. Mountains, that's beauty. And yet, if you go to Colorado, vast parts of Colorado are brown, uh, totally uninteresting. The mountains are there, but that's it. But this state of Minnesota just rolls on and on and on. Great, long, vast horizons. The most fantastic farms in the world are in Minnesota. And the, the earth in Minnesota is the color of uh, black, indelible ink. I mean, they say that if, if, if you're driving too slow and you throw your popcorn box out in the field, 20 minutes later, there's a field of popcorn. It's just absolutely, and the, and the land is so, to buy this land, you know, to become a Minnesota farmer, the land itself is worth today something like two to $3,000 an acre. And can you imagine a guy with a 400-acre farm out there? There's no way for you to decide to become a Minnesota farmer now. It's hereditary. And the only way that it's happened is maybe three or four generations on one farm. But if you decided to go out and buy a farm today in Minnesota, you'd have to have probably a, a paying farm. You'd have to have at least a million dollars capital to start with. This is truly some state. <laughs> and, uh, and then going down to the long western slopes of, of Minnesota, right where it just touches up against South Dakota. You always think of Minnesota's Midwest and all. And those great flat western rivers lying there. You've been listening to Gene Shepard, author, raconteur, and commentator on the contemporary scene.